that, that, that Paul took three chapters to lay out the sin, universal sin of all people. I think he did an excellent job. I, of course, obviously, it's inspiration of Scripture, but I think the way Paul did it, the way that Paul laid it out was absolutely incredible. And so for the first three chapters, what he has said was all have sinned. That means you are a sinner. It means that I am a sinner. All have sinned, okay? He told us in the first three chapters that there are none righteous. You know what the word none means? It means none, none righteous. There are none that seek after God. If God didn't do something, if God didn't inject himself, if God didn't interrupt our lives, we wouldn't know anything about God because in our sin we're not seeking after God. And so generally what he says in the first three chapters is there are none that can save themselves based upon self-worth. And Paul used the greatest example of the greatest man in Israel's history, Abraham. That's what we dealt with. Everybody knew, everybody in, in the Jewish history, in the Jewish line, and in fact, uh, those who study biblical history, all would proclaim that Abraham was righteous. But the question was, how was he righteous? How did he get this righteousness? And so Paul used Abraham, Genesis 15, to show that it wasn't based upon his own righteousness, but it was the imputation or the reckoning or the deposit of righteousness into his account. If you remember how we looked at it, Abraham uh, realized that he was getting old and his wife was old, could not have a baby. I think about Abraham was like 100 years old or something. You, know, you don't have babies when you're 100. If you do, you, you, you go to Mars. Anyway, and he couldn't do it. And he said to God, you know, where's my heir? And God said, come on out here, boy, and took him outside. Man, look crazy. Look at the stars. Look at the sky. Count the stars if you can, Abraham. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And very critically, Abraham says, I believe you. There was an ambition of his total belief at that, in fact, the word in Hebrew is amen. God, amen. I believe you. And the Bible says that God counted it, deposited it into him as righteousness. How was Abraham righteous? Because God deposited righteousness into him. Now, gang, I got something else exciting to share with you, but you got to get your head around that. Because you see, in these 30 years of ministry, so many Christians struggle with so many past sins of their life. They, they just drag along getting beat up by the little whispers of Satan and the memories that they have and the, the mess-ups they've had. And they just, just live defeated. And they've never realized that when God, that when God looks at them, he smiles. They have God's favor. John Piper said, God is in their camp. God is in your camp if you know him. Not based upon your worthiness, but on the same basis of Abraham, God's worthiness. 
and you're accepted into the beloved because of him. Amen. Now, listen, we got something else because what Paul's going to do is look at justification by faith and, and look at it from a different perspective today. But before we do that, I want to address something that some have asked about, okay? How were people, and this is, it's, this is not real difficult, but I want to address it. How were people saved in the Old Testament if the cross was in the future? And that may sound a little complicated, but it's really not. The answer is the same way as people are saved after the cross. You see, gang, the only difference is the time frame. Whether you're looking toward the cross or whether you're looking back at the cross, okay? That's why Paul is trying to make, I think, a very convincing argument that justification you may say salvation, but justification is that legal declaration we defined it last week, has always been, will always be by faith. Abraham, by faith, looking forward. We, by faith, looking back. And it's just simply a matter of time frame, okay? Now, I want to look at the next example of justification, justification by faith. But look at it from a different perspective because that's what Paul does in Romans 4, okay? We move from the greatest person in Jewish history to arguably, at least for me it's easy, but there could be some argument, the greatest sin in Jewish history, okay? Now, the reason I say I think it's the greatest sin, well, let me give you a couple reasons, okay? In the text we're going to read in just a moment, Paul's going to use Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, which is a song by King David after he had his encounter with Bathsheba. If you'll remember, Psalm 51 is his confession. Psalm 32 is the joy of forgiveness. It's a beautiful song. It ought to be your song if you're a believer in Christ because it's the song of forgiveness that comes from God. And I think clearly... This sin was in Paul's mind when he wrote about justification by faith. Justification, gang, is receiving God's righteousness. That's Abraham. But it's also, and listen to me, it's not receiving your sin debt. That's what we learn from David. Justification has two aspects, receiving and not receiving. The depositing of righteousness into your account and the not depositing of sin into your account. So it's clear to me, at least in my country mind, Romans chapter 4, using David's example, is on Paul's mind, and it's the greatest sin in the nation of Israel. Okay, There's a second reason, though. In the aftermath of David's sin, he was forgiven, But in the aftermath of David's sin, we see a kingdom in disarray. From that moment on, and and, and this is a caution to you guys, you gals, you dudes and you dudettes, okay? Especially guys, it's a caution because even though he was forgiven, from that moment on, David had to continually put out fires. He put out fires in his own family. 
There was rebellion in his household. There was incest in his household. And he had to put that out. And the nation, he had to continually put it out. And, and finally, oh, it's so sad to me. Finally, after obtaining peace and uniting the nation, then there was a sin. We see rebellion. We see division. We see breakdown. And yet, even with all of that, Paul uses this text to show that David, as bad as his sin was, sin so worthy of death, he enjoyed the blessing of forgiveness. Why? Because he was justified through faith, as Abraham was. The key is God reckons, God credits, God deposits righteousness into the heart of those who believe apart from any works. I shared with you last week, and I'll share again this morning and in our second service with the younger crowd, that I still think that we have this mentality that we can be saved by being good. And if we just do our best, in Romans, all of Romans, but beginning in chapter 4, Paul just destroys it, okay? Now, I want you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. I, I want us to read. In fact, I was going to read all those verses we read last week, but let's do this. Let's read Romans chapter 4, and, uh, and let's read slowly verses 6 through 8. And, and, and that, as I read it, I want you to think about some of the wording and of what we now we know what Paul is doing. Verse 6. No, verse 5, I think, because that's where the sentence begins. Let's do that. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited or reckoned or deposited as righteousness. You got that? No works. It's just like somebody dumping $1,000 into your account, okay? Except this is a whole lot better. Just as David also speaks of the blessings on the man to whom God, and there's that word again, credits righteousness, and there's those words again, apart from works. Now, verse 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord, and there's that word again, will not take into account, will not reckon, will not deposit. Sin, not that righteousness deposited. You got that, Abraham? Sin, not deposited. The story of David in Bathsheba that Paul draws on. Absolutely gain. I'm about to rapture or rupture. It blows my mind that God, that God would not hold me accountable for my sin. Man, Rich, that's liberating. And I wish our people could be liberated. Father, in the next few moments, help me. This is incredible stuff. And I'm not worthy, but God, I'm going to attempt it. Because number one, you called me to do it. And number two, I can't help but proclaim the richness that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. All right, gang, keep your Bible open. In, the, in fact, keep your eyes on verse 7 and 8, and I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to I break down some words. I want to break apart. One of, my, one of the things I love doing in Bible study 
is taking apart words and then taking the words and putting them back into the context, okay? So I want you to look at verse 7, and he begins there with the words lawless deeds, okay? Now, if you were to go back to Psalm 32, you would find the word transgression used. That word transgression means to, to go overboard or out of bounds. It's to hunt on somebody else's property if you're a hunter, okay? There's a barrier there. There's a, there's a fence there. There's a sign, no hunting. And you look around to see if anybody's looking, and if you think nobody's looking, you jump the fence and you hunt on somebody else's property. In the Old Testament, Psalm 32, that's the word that was used. The word used here is a word which means lawlessness, the opposite of law, which means to break the law, meaning wickedness, going over the standards of the law. You see, when David committed sin with Bathsheba, he broke three of the Ten Commandments. We've been teaching, just finished our preteens with the Ten Commandments. David broke three of the Ten Commandments. He coveted somebody else's wife. He committed adultery, and he committed murder. What he did, he knew it very well. What he did was worthy of death. He should have died. He should have been killed because of his sin. Now, all you've got to do, gang, is look at the rest. You may not have done those three, but all you've got to do is look at the rest of the Ten Commandments. Somewhere in those ten are you, which means you are worthy of death because you have transgressed God's boundaries. You have become a wicked person. You have broken the law. That's what verse 7 means, okay? Also, verse 7, the word forgiven. What does that mean? Well, it means to be lifted off, sent away. David should have died because of the wickedness of his heart and his actions, but it was lifted off of him, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Verse 7, the word covered, what does that mean? Well, it means exactly what it says, to cover over, to hide, to conceal. Verse 8, sin is the same as verse, oh, verse 7, that word sin, I didn't do that. It means to fall short of a standard fall short of God's mark. I, I think the reason Paul used that there is that Paul, is, he's dealing with, with uh, righteousness, the imputation of righteousness as opposed to the works of the law. And so what, what, what Paul, has said, Paul says when he uses the word sin is that, that, that David shot short. If you shoot a bow and arrow and you got a target out there and you draw the arrow back and you let the arrow go and, uh, and you fall short of the standard, that's what the word sin. So especially if you're hunting on somebody else's property and you shoot short, you're a real big sinner, okay? That's what that word. In verse 8, it's the same thing, sin, okay? And then also in verse 8, there's that word reckon or count, does not take into account. And what I want you to get your head on here is God does not deposit your sin debt into your account. You got that? Okay, now take a moment with me. That close your eyes just for a moment. Let your mind go back to the worst thing you ever did. Worst word you ever spoke. The worst attitude you ever had. Ask the Holy Spirit, take me there. Are you there? Now look at me. The only one that remembers it is you. Because when you're a believer in Christ, he doesn't deposit that into 
your account. Incredible. Gang, I sat there studying this week. I understand the deposit of righteousness. That's a little hard for me to get my head around, but God accepts me based upon Christ. I can swallow that. But I want to tell you, you know what my biggest struggle in life has always been? To forgive myself. I look back through, through some of the years of my life. A wonderful, godly wife that got 40, 40 something years now, 42, 42 years or something, okay? And uh, I, I think, dear God, I wish I could, wish I could, wish I could block it, wish I could cover it, wish I could send it away. The enemy won't let me do it. My imperfect self won't let me do it. But God did it. And that blows my mind. And so what we have is David, Paul joining David saying, Oh, oh, how happy is the man who breaks divine law, whose sin justifiably worthy of death, has that sentence of death lifted off, covered up, sent away. Oh, how happy is the man who is not charged with the debt of his sin. His ledger is clean. His account is not overdrawn. All based upon justification by faith alone. Without any works. Because of God's deposit of righteousness into his account. And God's non-deposit of sin into our account. And gang, what these words mean is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he'll never, ever, ever take inventory of your sin. Isn't that cool? Because of his righteousness, because of his holiness, God declares that. There was a great theologian years gone by, a guy by the name of Charles Hodge. And in his little commentary, here's what he wrote. He said, no matter how abundant or pure works may be, the ground of blessedness is not in them, but in the principle from which they flowed. Not in man, but in God. And then he says this, the blessed man is the man, although a sinner, is regarded and treated as righteous. And that's how God treats you. Because of the blood of the Lord, the blood of the Lamb. That takes away the sins of the world. That's how God looks at you, okay? Now, so what we have is that Paul shows us these two wonderful aspects of forgiveness. Positively, from Abraham, he dumps righteousness. Negatively, from David, he does not dump sin. That's justification by faith alone. Now, here's the question we got to ask. What should that make us do? What impact... Should that have on us who believe? Well, let me mention a few things, and I'll close it out, okay? I think the first thing is that we have to be honest with ourselves. I think what, when you read Scripture, especially the doctrine of salvation in Scripture, gang, I think you have to look yourself in the mirror, and I think you have to be honest with yourself. A lot of people don't want to be honest with themselves. I mean, you, you see it all day on TV. Man, these, these celebrities and these politicians... And they don't want you to know. They're hiding, they're covering, they're slipping around and all that kind of stuff. Listen, you can't be righteous with God based upon the blood of the Lord Jesus if you're not honest with yourself. 
You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. By nature, by choice. We have a debt deserving of death. We have a debt deserving of hell. And if God had not given us mercy, all of us would be doomed. Be honest. You're a sinner. Be honest about sin. Sin is breaking of God's holy law worthy of death. Sin is not a mistake. Sin is not a little stubbing of your toe. Sin is not falling off the curb. Sin is stepping off the Empire State Building and dying. That's what sin is. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. When I'm talking to people and trying to share my faith with people and I ask them about their life, well, you know, I'm really not all that bad of a person. Yes, you are. Well, you know, I've done more good than bad. No, you haven't. You know, I want to say to them, you're a rotten, no good, ugly, wicked, transgressing, missing of the mark, death-deserving, hell-deserving sinner. People don't want to understand that. Be honest about yourself. Be honest with sin. You broke in the law. That is worthy, justifiably, dear people, worthy of death. And then be honest about salvation. My goodness, you can't be good enough. Your good deeds can't outweigh your bad deeds. Jesus was worthy. By accepting God's full payment, God's righteous demand through our faith in Him and our objective faith in Him and what He did, we stand forgiven, delivered. Our count is cleared. Death has no victory. Death has no sting based upon him. First Peter chapter 2, Peter said it this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why? Well, that we might die to sin. We might live to righteousness. What must we do? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you accept the fact that God accepts you and you live to righteousness. There ought to be something different about your life based upon who he is and what he has done for you. By his wounds we were healed. And so we, from our text last week and this week, we ought to be able to cry out, Hey, Abraham, how can I be righteous like you? Hey, David, how can I be forgiven like you? And the only answer is this. You are justified by faith alone, through grace alone, by Christ alone, according to the Bible alone, for the glory of God alone. The very tenets that God used to burst the church out of the dark age of Roman Catholicism into what we call the Great Reformation, that radically changed society radically changed the church to recapture the Word of God and the Spirit of God, justified by faith alone, through grace alone, by Christ alone, according to the Bible alone, all for the glory of God alone. Jeremiah wrote, God said through Jeremiah, Jeremiah wrote it, I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins. 
no more. That's justification by faith. And I believe that when believers get that, then they become radicalized. You know, we talk an awful lot about being radicalized today. If there's anybody that should be radical, if there's anybody that should, and if there's anything a church should be doing, is radicalizing with the truth of Scripture, the doctrine of salvation. The word radicalized means a person becomes increasingly extreme. Gang, you ought to become, Kevin, there's a good example. Radicalized, increasingly extreme. That's what the church should be. Rejects the status quo. Indian Springs, we ought to reject the status quo. Undermines contemporary ideas. And I like that because our contemporary ideas are wicked today and they're ungodly. I want to tell you, when a nation says that marriage is not between a man and a woman, we've got some issues. And the church of Jesus Christ should lovingly stand and share truth regardless of the outcome of that. That's just the way it should be, dear people. See? It's, it's not about desire. Let me, can I, how much time am I? Oh, I got three minutes. Listen to me. Listen to me. When you get in discussions about the gay marriage thing and, and all of that, love the people. But here's what you need to understand. Feelings do matter because they're dealing with feelings, okay? Desires do matter. They're dealing with desires. Now, they may have been rejected on one hand and attracted to the eye. Desire, passions matter. But nothing, nothing matters as much as the Bible, see? So it's not about desires at all. It's about design. And God designed it to be male and female. That doesn't make me better than anybody else that's on the other side. It just means that I understand that God's design has to be more important than desire. And if we can help people understand design is more important than desire, then we are then perhaps we can open the word and share with them this blessed news that Abraham was righteous because God deposited it and David was forgiven because God did not deposit sin. And when those two things grab hold of you, man, it, it radicalizes. You become a radical. Oh, oh, how we need that, okay? Well, listen, I'm through. Uh, next week, I'm going to use the last verse in Romans 4, unless the Lord changes my heart, and we'll be through with Romans 4, okay? Well, listen, I want you to bow your head. Barbara's going to come for just a moment, okay? And I want us just to kind of take a moment and reflect upon maybe what hopefully the Holy Spirit, not Tom, but the Holy Spirit said to you. Um, maybe you've got something you need to do. Father, I love you. God, I can't, I can't imagine why you would accept me and not deem me worthy of hell except for Christ. I just, I just have trouble with that. So I'm glad I don't have to understand it, but by faith believe it. I'm so glad, God, that I bring a smile. I'm so glad that these dear people that know you bring a smile to your face. And I pray, God, you'll help them realize.
that when you look at them, you smile because you love your son and you see your son. I thank you for everyone. It's not by accident. This group's here. It won't be by accident. The next group will be here. May God, you encourage their heart for what it means to be declared righteous through Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand quietly for just a few moments.